Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Talk Shop Podcast. If you're new to the podcast, the Talk Shop is just a platform to give individuals bigger voice so that they can talk about their jobs, hobbies, passion projects, you know, just cool stuff that they have going on in their life. And we're going to be talking about improv, where individuals come together and they improvise on the spot without a script scenes. So it's just spur of the moment, throwing ideas around, working together to make a scene. Most of the improv is comedy based. You'll see a lot of actors do it. The whole Judd Apatow movies, the 40 year old virgin, this is 40, knocked up, all those great movies. They based a lot of this on that. And what they did is like a lot of those scenes, they would act out a scene and then just repeat one liners until they found like the best version of it. And then they would use it for the movie. Actually, in the 40 year old virgin, the scene where Seth Rogen and Paul Rudd are sitting down back and forth doing the you know how I know you're gay that was actually an improv scene that was only supposed to be a minute long eventually these guys just kept going at it that they filmed the whole thing and they left it in there so Michael J. Seeloff or is it just Michael Seeloff well it's uh, I use the J professionally because in college I thought it would be funny to be like I'm Michael J. Seeloff (laughs) so I think the person introduced himself before me was just like I don't know. They didn't use the initial. I just thought it'd be funny. It stuck all through college. And then I was like, nah, I'm going to keep it. But now I'm kind of like, ah, it seems a little bit almost uh, pretentious. Like who uses their middle initial? <laughs> so I don't know. I thought about dropping it, but it's too late. That's my, that's my SAG name. Like, I, I, hey, I use actually my middle name. So it's not too pretentious. <laughs> oh, I got, well, that's your full middle name. Yeah. No, I'm messing yeah, yeah. with you. Well, I feel like I, I like a royalty of some sort. You know, Michael J. Seeloff. <laughs> So whenever I go in for a role for acting wise and I have to slate my name, if the role's more working class, I just say Michael Seeloff <laughs> or Mike Seeloff to make me sound <laughs> like I'm working class. Yeah, I don't know. It's <laughs> that, I, that's a nice little trick for the the acting community right there. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, alter your name depending <laughs> on the role. Done. Do it. Heard it here first. But yeah. So the J is always option, but it is Michael because that's what my mom would prefer. Oh, okay. She named me Michael, not Mike. Oh. Ooh. Ooh, sounds rough. Yeah. So improv, it's funny because so what I know about improv actually is a little backwards. I grew up and I saw whose line is it anyways. Oh, yeah. And then I started learning about actors and then I got really into Dan Aykroyd, John Belushi, those guys. And then I researched them and then I find out that these are improv actors from, I guess you can call it the Mecca, Chicago second stage. No doubt. Yep. And then all these comedians come from improv. Mm Mm-hmm. But uh, is improv that big nowadays? It is. I mean, and it's it's the biggest in New York, Chicago, L.A. Outside of that, it's not that big of an art. But I think it's growing because, uh, for instance, I'm from Minneapolis, uh, technically Fridley, Minnesota, 55432. But Minneapolis is becoming huge in the improv scene. They just opened up a theater called Huge, actually. Um, and it's the first, like, long-form specific improv theater because whose line is it anyway short form they're, oh, okay they're games and there's kind of a there's a beginning and end you kind of know when it starts and stops and long form you you don't you could have a scene for five minutes you could have a scene for a minute you could have a scene for 10 minutes so there's it's much more loose like, a lot of people know short form because there's a lot of comedy sports all around the united states it's a franchise theater and uh, that's something that io in chicago now they moved out to la you know maybe 15 years ago so they have io west so there's two IOs, which stands for Improv Olympic, but the Olympics threaten to sue them. So they just do <laughs> IO now. 
And then UCB, uh, Upright Citizens Brigade, started in New York. Now they went out to L.A. as well. So there's there's a few of them, but still, the main three cities are Chicago, L.A., and New York. And Chicago, yeah, kind of being the birthplace, Chicago was looked at as the second city to New York. So um, that's how they got their name. Yeah, so a lot of these comedians are like, they start with improv, sometimes stand-up, but mainly improv, sketch. Sketch and improv are linked. A lot There's a lot of improv and sketch comedy like SNL and uh, SNL sketch comedy. And you can see sometimes they're reading off cue cards. The seasoned improvisers that are performers, they oftentimes will be like, okay, I, I have an idea of what this is. I can I can make it more real. I can make it come across naturally. I don't need to read a cue card. That's why, unfortunately, Leslie Jones kind of gets, you know, shit on a little bit because she's always reading that cue card and she's not the best at it, but she's a stand-up and she's a writer. So people who come from that world aren't exactly, I don't know, I don't want to say actors because she's an actor, but um, they're not used to that. Yeah. They're not used to that easily like, hey, that's that's go with the flow. We don't have to stick to every single line. But as a writer, I assume she's like, you better read every line because I'm a writer. I want you to read yeah. every line I write. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, it's true, man. Uh, improv, it's, when I was looking this up, uh, I found some rules and I'm like, man, this stuff makes you sharp witty like if you do it correctly and you master your craft you're you're gonna excel at your comedy you're gonna have better skills in life it's pretty cool i never looked at improv like this so i was really excited to do this something very new to me yeah that's awesome yeah totally and anyone can do improv i half the people that i teach improv to or even perform with aren't act they're just interested individuals in this form or art form i don't want to say art form i don't want to sound pretentious like my middle initial (laughs) but it is an art form because you, you kind of go in and there, there are definitely rules to follow. And then after you kind of get those rules and it's in you, you kind of let go of those rules and you don't have to worry about them as much. Because it's still improv. You want to have fun with it, right? Yeah. Like the number one rule in improv is agreement. You have to agree on the terms with your scene partner. Like it's teamwork, you know, and I think that's, that's the big difference between like stand-up comedy and improv is improv is you have a teammate and you're doing things together. Stand-up, you're doing it by yourself. And I think that's also the beauty of improv in the sense of the, the pressure that a stand-up goes through, it's pretty high because there people come to watch someone make them laugh. I better be funny. And if I don't get the audience to laugh after my first, maybe second joke, it's not getting any better. It's not getting any easier. So like improv, what's nice is you can do a scene and if it's a bad scene, you just, you edit it, you start a brand new scene. Your lifesaver is your partner. Like, right. bail me out. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You're both to blame for doing a bad scene. So it's not all on you. <laughs> it, it's uh, easier taking 50% of the blame. <laughs> no, totally, totally. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's the, like, obviously there's good bad, there's good improv and there's bad improv. <laughs> Some of my, um, the teams and the scenes that I've seen that I enjoy the most are ones where you're just like, yeah, this is crazy, but it looks like both of them are having so much fun. And they agree with each other and they seem to like each other and they're playing off of each other. And that's contagious. The audience is now enjoying what everyone's doing, even if it's really weird or doesn't make a lot of sense. So yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful, um, beautiful thing to get you just really engaged with somebody else. It improves your relationships. I think a hundred percent because you're learning these rules that you can apply to real life. Yeah. That's why I just taught an improv workshop when I was back in Minnesota for the holidays. And half the people there are just like, I don't know. I just wanted to check it out, you know? And so those individuals are not going to be performers. They're just going to go back to their everyday life, but hopefully they can take this, um, the stuff they learn through improv and they get to, you know, with their kids, they can improvise, they can play with their kids in this way. 
which inspires creativity. It's funny that you said all that because uh, th- when I was looking at this, I was seeing like this is an on tap market for like business executives to teach leadership and uh, teamwork with people. And even that, all these articles you read nowadays saying that kids are getting disconnected with uh, human interaction. It's like improv rules are there and it shows like, hey, look, you can interact with people and this is how you do it and this is how you do it well. Right. Yeah, exactly. And some of those tenants that really, um, really encourage that is, is active listening is yes. Anding. So if someone gives an idea, you don't say no. And then you go a different <laughs> direction. You actually interact with the idea that was already put out there. I mean, that's, and that's also the beauty of improv is if you have an idea, that's okay. You don't have to use it though in that moment. Yeah. You know, and even if you do have an idea, it's a good lesson to be like, drop it because what's more important, your idea or that you two are working together to create a scene. Yeah, it's uh, working together. Yeah, it's working together. Yeah, it's a, it's a leading question, I realize. It's weird because we're all selfish. We're all selfish. Yeah. So we all want our idea to be valued. We all want like what we think is the right thing to happen. But it's a freedom. It's a weird freedom to let go of that and just being like, actually, I think we're stronger together. And just trusting that. That's hard. I mean, there's actors who have been doing improv, not just actors, but people who have been doing improv for... 10 years and they still haven't grasped that entirely. Yeah. You can still see them try to strong arm a scene or try to get their idea across or get frustrated when someone else's idea uh, or when their idea isn't, uh, isn't played out or listened to. Yeah. I'm the star. This is my scene. Right. Right. Or there's an exercise I love doing and it's called, for lack of a better term, it's good improviser, bad improviser. So one person is intentionally going to be a bad improviser. <laughs> they're going to deny. They're going to not agree with their partner. They're going to make up stuff out of nowhere that makes no sense. And the goal of the good improviser is to make them look good. Whatever they say is goal. Whatever they say is right. So if someone's like, um, hey, could you move that picture over here? There's no picture over there. And so like that'd be the bad improviser denying that this yeah. reality even exists. And they'd be like, ah, you're right. You're right. I just got back from the eye doctor and like the drops are still in my eyes. So you're justifying why you didn't see it. Oh, so gotcha. It's a frustrating exercise. Because you're getting constantly denied and not listened to. But it teaches you to be like, doesn't matter what is thrown at me, I'm going to try to make this into a positive. Builds character. Builds character. Yeah. Oh, man. One time in a scene, we were playing this good good improviser, bad improviser. And this one lady was so upset. She said, shut the fuck up. But she said it as the character, kind of. <laughs> but as the teacher, I was like, okay, okay, let's stop. Let's stop. Let's stop. Um, like... I think this is a good lesson. Like, it's easy to get frustrated in this game, but that's the intention. The intention is to frustrate you so that you can calm down and just... <laughs> I had a debrief all of it because she got upset. But she she, she kind of hid behind, like, no, I said it in the scene. And you're like, mm, I don't think so. You can tell. You can tell when someone says it as actor or as the character. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't push her too much because I didn't know what was coming next. But, yeah, that's like it shows that frustration when you're not listened to. Which is also a good lesson in general. If you see that and you're on the sidelines, because it's easy to watch a scene and critique it. It's harder yeah. to be in it and be like, oh, am I doing this right? Yeah, to see it, you know, to have that 20-20 hindsight. And you're like, oh, wow. Well, maybe I should, I need to settle down too. That, she seems super aggressive. Maybe maybe I'm like that too? You can always get notes. You can give yourself notes just by watching an improv shit. Good stuff, man. I did not come into an improv conversation thinking all this helpful knowledge was going to come from it. (laughs) Improv, guys. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, man. No, but like self-awareness is huge. Like uh, there's an acronym that I love using in improv 
called CAP. And um, sorry, can we stop? Yeah. So, what uh, you were mentioning an acronym? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, there's this acronym that I like using because I can think it uh, it works for improv, but I think it's also just great in general. But to be a good improviser, CAP. The acronym is CAP. So C stands for confidence. Um, you need to have confidence. You need to go into a scene and not just kind of have your tail in between your legs type of thing. And, um, you know, make a bold choice. Make a choice. And I think, again, another life lesson. Make a choice. You know, live with your choice. But, you know, if you never, if you're kind of like half in, you're never going to do anything to the full of your ability. The A is awareness, which is my favorite one because we could all use a lot more self-awareness. Yeah. And like able to make fun of ourselves, but also to see, oh, wow, I come across like that. That's good to know. Um, what you do with that information is up to you, but hopefully with that self-awareness, you're like, oh, okay, maybe I'll tone it down a little bit or maybe I'll ramp it up. Or I know for me, one self-awareness thing I've learned over the years is I can have a lot of energy. Sometimes it's just too much. So sometimes I need to tone it down a little bit, um, be a little more subtle, be a little more sometimes even monotone. Maybe monotone's too far, but just if I think monotone, I'll come out in the middle. <laughs> so, but yeah, and the P in uh, cap is perseverance. So not giving up on the scene. Not giving up on an idea or a collaboration, but yeah, confidence, awareness, perseverance. I I think it's uh, that's what helps me kind of um, conceptualize what I, is important when you're improvising. No, those are all great key points uh, for people who are into like business entrepreneurs talking to them. Like those are pretty much the points that they always hit on. Mm -hmm. Like, look, guys, this is what you need to do in order to succeed. You got to put yourself out there, first of all. Mm -hmm. Make fun of yourself. Because if you fail, so what? You got to just get back on the horse. Right. And you got to be all in. Because if people might not notice, the people are going to notice that you're not all in. And then your heart's not in it. So it's just going to lack. And then you're going to try twice. And then you're just going to quit. Right, right. You know, so it's it's yeah. everything. You know, Everything in this world kind of like ties together. And it's so cool to see that point of view. Because I've never heard of that, the CAP acronym so like hearing that i'm like being able to tie it over this way it's it's cool you know it's a different perspective on life yeah yeah totally and yeah i think uh it, it's it's interesting because a lot of people like they want to succeed they want to you know be passionate about something and follow through with it yeah i mean whatever it takes whether it's an acronym or whether <laughs> it's a self-help book i mean i'm not a fan of them but at the same time it's because i'm probably cynical about them you know, whatever it takes to kind of get you over that hump of like judging, self-judgment. I mean, that's the biggest thing in improv. Most people are just judging themselves too harshly. They're like, oh, man, I made that choice. And it's like, you got another scene. That was one scene. That was one moment of your life. Like, move on. I mean, usually life moments don't happen within two minutes like a scene does. Uh, so it's harder to get, you know, over it. But the idea is like, all right, let's persevere or... What can you improve? Be self-aware. Um, and I'm big into the self-awareness too because I do a lot of like socially conscious comedy stuff. So it's like if you want to uh, shine light on a social issue, you need to first kind of reflect on yourself. If you're telling people what to do, but you're not self-aware, no one's going to listen to you. Yeah. Like, no, this guy's a liar <laughs> or he's a hypocrite. So you're like, that's why comedians, I mean, improvisers as well, but stand-ups, one of the first things they do is they make fun of themselves. Everybody in their show is like, oh, okay, he, I can trust him because he's self-aware. <laughs> and so then it puts people at ease. And then we put someone at ease, they're more likely to laugh. Comedy creates vulnerability. Yeah, but the truth in comedy is huge. And that's like Del Close, one of the godfathers of improv. That was his book, uh, The Truth in Comedy. Yeah, it kind of comes full circle to like being honest and being truthful 
in that moment. The truth is funny. It can be funny because people are like, oh, I, I can relate. I can relate because we want it for relational beings. That's another thing in improv. <laughs> like relationship is so important. If you're strangers in a scene, you're like, I don't care about these people. Why don't I care? Because they don't know each other. They don't care about each other. Yeah, like we were saying, there's a bunch of greats that came from this. You see them in movies and all that, and you would probably never assume that they came from improv just because it's like you have a script, but it's like, no, I can... I can spin this, guys. Like I can, I can work the scene. I'll work my magic. Yeah, and it's because they have these skills. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it's just that to me, it comes down to a lot of times being honest and being like, "Yes, I, I am this character." And let me tell you how what this character would react in this situation or that situation. I mean, so many improvised lines in movies uh, are sometimes considered the best lines of the movie. Yeah, you know, like I'll never forget what is it, Al Pacino. Where he's crossing a street in New York and he's like, I'm walking here, I'm walking here. Oh, yeah. That was an improvised line because literally a taxi cab like zoomed through the set and, but he stayed in character and he was just like, and I mean, it's an iconic line, you know, or Leonardo DiCaprio actually stabbing his hand. What's it called? Um, Django. Django Unchained, yes. Um, but yeah, he literally stabbed his hand unintentionally, but he sucked it up and like you could see the pain in his eyes of that he, he injured himself. Oh, wow. I did. He stuck it out and he kept like the lines then. Now, don't stab your hand, everybody. <laughs> like, that's not what I'm saying. But he stuck with it. He, he persevered through that and he, he was very real. And so, yeah, you're, that's what acting is too, is like, you're not just making it up. There's parameters. There's a story you're trying to tell. But the more real it is, the more like words out of your mouth that seem like, yes, no, a character would totally say this, the more the audience is going to connect with it. And the more the audience connects with it, Hopefully, it becomes more successful. I mean, unless it's Transformers. I mean, they're going to make millions of dollars <laughs> for who knows why. Because I want people to get to know you. Like, yeah. who is Michael J? J stands for John. Oh. Anyone wonders. When you were a little kid, what did you want to grow up to be? Oh, man. You know, the first thing I think about when you say that is in third grade, Mrs. Meyer, one of my favorite teachers of all time, she had us do these someday book. Someday I will be blank. My thought is like, what did I write in that book? Because that's probably the most accurate to how I remember. Because when you're an adult, you kind of reflect and you almost like, you can't remember things exact. So you almost remember things the way you want to remember them. But the someday book, uh, I wanted to be a third baseman for the Atlanta Braves. I wanted to be the center for the Houston Rockets. My favorite center was Akeem Olajuwon. And I like the Braves, even though I'm from Minnesota, I'm a Twins fan. I felt sorry for the Braves <laughs> because they lost to the Twins in the World Series. Uh, then the Braves lost again to the Blue Jays the next year. So that was 91, 92. I was an underdog fan at a young age. I love the underdog. Yeah, I, I think like I wanted to be an athlete, professional athlete. Uh, there's also like, you know, I want to be an astronaut because I want to go out in space. But I learned quickly like you rarely will get to go out to outer space if you are a rocket scientist or an astronaut. I was all over the place. <laughs> there was no like, I want to do this. I never thought I wanted to be a performer. I mean, I would always be, I was always a class clown, but I never thought, oh, that translates into a career. Yeah. I just thought, oh, that's fun. Like, I like, but I thought I could do that anytime, anywhere. I never thought I needed a stage to do that. Consider acting until, like, in high school, I kind of was like, you know what? I've always wanted to try acting. So I joined a class, theater techniques. It was a class in high school. And uh, Gary Zender was the teacher. Shout out to Gary Zender, because he really the guy who inspired me to be an actor. Yeah, this class was great. I really enjoyed it. I was like, oh, yeah, performing, acting. And then I was in a one play, The Mayor of This Town. I had a very small part, but I was a senior in high school. And my tennis 
my tennis coach allowed me to go back and forth because I, I graduated with 175 people. So you kind of do everything, uh, which is nice. But yeah, so my tennis coach let me rehearse for 15 minutes and then go to tennis practice. Yeah, I got to be the mayor and it was so much fun. Uh, and I was on stage and I did the most professional thing an actor could do. I wrote down all my lines on a piece of paper. And since I was the mayor, I had to give a speech. So I just whipped out that piece of paper. I didn't memorize anything. <laughs> So I found out later that was, don't do that. But at the time, I was like, oh, this is great. I can just read off a piece of paper. So I did it, and I just played this character. It's kind of fun. And one time, I completely messed up my line. The whole idea was I was getting everyone's attention, except I'm kind of timid. And so the pastor of the town actually gets everyone's attention by telling everyone to be quiet. <laughs> so I, after he does that, I'm supposed to say, thank you, pastor. Instead, I go, thank you, mayor. And I realize <laughs> in that moment, everyone's watching me. Everyone... I think knows that I screwed up, but I, I switched on the improv brain I didn't even know I had at the time. And I said, oh, I guess that's me. <laughs> Whoops. You know, I just like, it wasn't genius, but it was just like a moment of me not making it a mistake, making it intentional. And people who watched it were like, oh yeah, it seemed totally natural, but it got a huge laugh too. So I was like, oh, I improvised a line that got a laugh. Feeling that energy was like, oh, that's fun. That's good. I like that feeling, but I also like the idea that I can make someone laugh on a larger stage rather than just a classroom. So that's kind of where I really got interested in like, well, let me pursue this in college. Let me actually do this more once I get to college. And so I did. So you went on to college, but your major wasn't acting, was it? No, 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 no. I majored in religion, which is a very, it's a little broad uh, of a major. Really, I majored in Christian theology. Because uh, I went to a Lutheran school. I'm Lutheran. Yeah, there's a lot of Lutheran schools in Minnesota. Um, a lot of Scandinavians. Yeah, so I actually wanted to become a pastor. So I originally thought, you know what? I'm going to do four years of undergrad, and then I'm going to go to seminary, become a pastor. But kind of while I was doing that, I, I started acting more. I started enjoying it. I was like, okay, well, I'll either become, I'll either go to seminary or I'll move out to Los Angeles, which completely different scenario. <laughs> After college, I was like, well, let me involved in the theater scene in Minneapolis, which is great. Minneapolis theater scene, it's got the second most theaters per capita in the United States. Oh, wow. People don't realize that um, <coughs> because it's just, it's such a great theater community. So I did children's theater there for a year. And then that was the moment where I was like, all right, I actually got laid off because this was back in 2009 and funding for this program just, it was a theater that's been around for a while, but they had to make cutbacks. And so I was like, well, what do I do? I love working with kids, which is why I did this children's theater thing, but also LA. Maybe LA is an opportunity for me. Maybe I could do that, which I never originally thought I could because when I watch TV, you don't see six, seven guys that with long necks and big noses. You don't see that. Character actors oftentimes are underrepresented, but then I was encouraged by a few people. They were like, no, Michael, like there's a lot of opportunities. You're just not going to be the lead. You're not going to be the star. One day it would be nice to change that, but I started to see it through a different lens. I started seeing the side characters. And I was like, oh, yeah, there's a lot of interesting looking character actors. That gave me kind of the push to say, yes, let's go out to L.A. First of all, it's probably is the adventure that I wanted to chase. But also like, yeah, let's see what a career in acting's like. Because I can't, I thought I could always go to seminary. But acting, you only get like inspired and passionate about this to travel and adventure, like maybe one time in your life situation. At time. The most important thing that we have, it's the most limited thing we have, the most unknown thing we have. All we have here is time, right? Yeah. And so totally. you got to do it, take advantage of it when we're younger and all that. Yeah. So, I mean, and I studied abroad in college. And one of the things with studying abroad 
Uh, I studied abroad in India. Uh, if you ever have a chance to study abroad, do it. Um, but I was in India, and even afterwards, people were saying, hey, if you have an opportunity to travel after college, do it, because then eventually you're going to have a family, and you're going to have to settle down. And so I thought, yes, okay. So, boom. I was like, this is my opportunity to move to L.A. Moving to L.A. was a part of that adventure and cultural experience. So I thought, yes, acting was definitely the reason, the reason behind the reason, I guess, the adventure side of it. Really quick side note on this. So is it a little culture shock from Minnesota to L.A.? It is, but it's subtle. So like when I first moved to L.A., I thought, okay, well, I mean, the weather is obvious and, you know, um, there's no seasons here compared to Minnesota. But the people were so friendly and people were so um, nice here in L.A. But I think there was that, <laughs> but there's a but. And I noticed that there's a lot of fakey niceness or there's a lot of like, yeah, of course, let's hang out. And then no intention to hang out. So you kind of have to navigate when you get to L.A., yeah, there's, and this is also dealing with the entertainment industry specifically, because that's mainly the people that I interacted with. Yeah, I don't want to indict people who are native to LA and be like, oh, the people move in and they make us look like assholes. Because yeah, I, but I just noticed there's a certain like fakiness. It's hard to find your community because also community isn't really valued in the same way in the entertainment industry as it was in the Midwest, in Minnesota. Minnesota, it's like, no, let's hang out. Let's play video games. It's like be in each other's lives. Um, but here in LA, it's a destination city. So when you are friends with people or you get to know people who um, have that mentality, you're disposable. You're like, oh, what can you get me? Oh, you're brand new to LA? Okay, you can't get me anything. Moving on. And again, it's not, no one says that. Yeah. That's the undercurrent, I've realized. Well, yeah, and that's tough, especially if you're moving to a city where the thing that I realize what I need the most in a new city is not a job, it's not a car, it's community. Like I needed people that I could relate to. So I don't feel lonely. I mean, there's so much loneliness in LA. And I think part of the reason is because everyone's off doing their own thing. No, and I yeah. think that's, that's why I love improv too, because improv, it's not, it's very communal. It's not individualistic. And so it's just designed that way. But I mean, there's plenty of improvisers who try to make it individualistic, which is frustrating. But as a whole, if you're really uh, succeeding at improv or doing it the quote-unquote right way. I mean, again, there's no right, right way. I think that's one of the beauties um, of improv. But then you're committing to being in a community with someone, whether it's being on a team or being in a class. There's that community aspect that is so important. You know, I hear what you're saying on the whole friends, community, and all that, and I, I get you completely. I think we're completely different sides because you came to L.A., and I'm from L.A. or California, so it's it's very different. Like, you know, I have friends. I've had friends my whole life. And for the most part, I think I've always stuck with the same people. But don't get me wrong. People have left. Not necessarily because I have nothing to offer them. It's just because we're in different places. And people just need to relate. And it was like we had nothing to relate about anymore. So then they left. And, you know, I, I'm not mad about it. But I think it's going to happen. I think it's human nature. And especially once you start having family and all of that. Kids. Just way different, but I hear you, man. Um, yeah, I totally get you. Right, right. So it's just finding finding your people. I think that's difficult, but yeah. Once I found that in L.A., I thought, okay, I can stay. I can stay a little longer than I anticipated. Because I, I mean, I moved out here, and I was like, I'm gonna give it two years. Give it two years, and after two years, we'll reevaluate and see if I move back to Minnesota or stay here. But I ran into multiple actors who are like, two years? Try ten years. Like you really got to give it a shot. 
So how long have you been out here? Eight years. Yeah, yeah. 2009, the fall of 2009, I moved out here. So it'll be nine years coming up in the fall, in October. And when I moved out here, I I wasn't super prepared. Um, and so like I stayed in a hostel in Santa Monica for a week. And then a buddy of mine who I was going to move in with, he said, okay, you can move in with me sooner than I anticipated, which was great. Uh, thank you so much. But there's four of us living in a studio, which is funny because now if you look around, we're in my apartment right now uh, in Koreatown. Well, in Filipino town, technically, which is just north of downtown LA. Okay, it's you geography, you know, nerds. But yeah, right now I live in uh, with four people in a three bedroom. So I'm still cramping it in. But yeah, that's that's LA. Or you were saying even earlier, that's San Francisco too. Yeah, as soon as I walked in, I was like, oh, this is San Francisco yeah, living. That's right. <laughs> we got someone living in the living room. And uh, I actually moved up. I used to live in the living room. And then I used to live, uh, my room was the smallest room here. Then now I live in the biggest room in the apartment. So I've been here for like, I think six years, seven years. I, I um, like that. Uh, how you worded that, uh, small victories. Yeah, they, small they victories, no they doubt. Matter. Yep, yep. <laughs> it's like uh, it's like finding a parking spot at 1 a.m. Small victories, uh, small victories. Actually, that's, that's a pretty big victory, so never mind. No. Yeah, it's a huge victory. I live. I used to live right here in L.A., like down the street from Dodger Stadium. And parking, Yep. anytime you can park near your house, it's a victory. Yeah, totally. It is. And we're spoiled because... Where I live, we live right next to a Tommy's, which is a Chili Burgers. Um, it's the original Tommy's, the first ever Tommy's. And they've got a parking lot that you can park in. And they always, uh, every once in a while, if you park there too often, they'll give you a pink slip that says, you'll get towed next time. And so you, then you just cool off for like another month. And then in another month you park there, then you'll get another pink slip. Like no one keeps track. But that's a, if it wasn't for that parking lot, we'd really be screwed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So what are you doing right now with the improv scene? A lot of drugs, a lot of rock and roll. I, I skipped sex. I went straight to the rock and roll. Um, no, I, I'm a Lyft driver. I love, I love it too. Like I've always like, have you, ever, have you ever said, oh man, if I could be this for like a year of my life or just like six months just to try it out. Like I, I've always wanted to be a farmer. I want to be a farmer for like just a year of my life. Does that happen out in Minnesota? Uh, farm? Yeah. Farming? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Okay. Which is great. That's what I love about California, too, is like you just drive an hour north and you got farms. And it's like the landscape is so diverse and the, the people are so diverse. Like That's one of the benefits, I think, that L.A. has that I just love. In Minnesota, you just get a lot of white people. You can get farmers. <laughs> um, it's, it's more, yeah. Um, oh, cramp. I got a cramp. That's weird. Okay, I'm back. There's a calf cramp in case you're wondering. Um, but I'm a Lyft driver. And I love it because I get to talk to people. I get to hear people's stories. And that, that's the reason why I'm an actor. I'm an actor because I want to be a storyteller. And so storytellers can come in a lot of different forms. That's why um, the people who really like storytelling will do stand-up. They'll do improv. They'll uh, do one-person shows because they want to just tell stories. Or a lot of actors become writers because they want to tell stories. Because as an actor, you can be in stories, but you're not really telling your story or telling a story that you wrote. Um, but yeah, being a Lyft driver, I can hear people's problems. I'm like a therapist. I'm also just like, I almost feel like I'm in the audience of a performance sometimes because some of the people you get are so fascinating. But then sometimes it's just, they don't want to talk, period. They put in their headphones and I'm like, hey, how's it going? And they like take out their earphone and they're like, what? I'm like, oh, sorry, I, I didn't recognize you're on. I'm like, oh yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> I'd say, um, yeah, so it's fun. It's a fun balance. And it's also teaches you how to have a conversation being a Lyft driver or Uber driver. I prefer Lyft. Yeah, it's just, it's a cool thing to kind of figure out how to talk to someone, how to engage with them. Maybe they don't want it or maybe they do, but they're not very good at it. So you have, kind of have to lead the way. 
you even can learn from them and use that in your improv. Oh, 100%. Like, some of those people are great influences for characters, but they're also just great for, like, the humanity of it. Maybe they even say something to you that you're like, yeah, I never thought of that before, so I can learn from them. One of my jobs that I've always wanted to be, besides a farmer, was a taxi driver. So this was perfect. <laughs> this was perfect. So I do lift, you know, maybe 15 hours a week, 20 hours a week. And then I'm an actor the rest of the time. Just a heads up in case you're wondering, being an actor, a working actor, because I consider myself a working actor, I work twice a month. And when I say work, I mean, I'm on set maybe like twice a month. Um, but I'm auditioning maybe three, four times a week. And that's commercials, that's TV, that's film. For me, I get a lot more commercials because commercials cater towards the character actors a little bit more, which is a cool transition in the last like 20 years. If you really think about it, and if you ever ask me, what did you do today? What did your day look like? Well, I don't know. Um, I woke up at like 11. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, it's true, but it doesn't feel right. Um, I had a meeting with someone. Like It seems so like, wow, you're doing nothing with your life. That's what it seems like. But my days are packed every day doing stuff, whether it's you know working on producing shows, with, which just means like organizing them. I do that. I help run Rogue Improv, which is a free improv workshop which is volunteer work. But yeah, the combination of volunteering, driving for Lyft, auditioning fills up my day. So I mean, not that you, the listener, were wondering like, <laughs> oh, he does nothing. Prove yourself. But I felt like I needed to prove myself for my own benefit. So a little bit on this uh, rogue improv. Yeah. Come on out. <laughs> South Pasadena, free improv classes every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. 1515 Garfield Avenue, past South Pasadena. But Rogue Improv actually started in my uh, living room here in this apartment. There was this thing that was around for seven years called Monkey Butler. And that was those are free improv classes. And so I connected with them when I came out to LA. And it was great. It was fun. Like They had different levels and met a lot of people through that. And that was my first real community in LA. Then Monkey Butler folded for multiple reasons. And I was already teaching classes at my apartment because I started to not only take classes, but teach classes. Because I've always, I've always enjoyed teaching. I've always kind of been a teacher. I, my philosophy is if, if you know something, share it. If you know something, teach it. Great philosophy. No, thank you, man. I, I got one believer. Um, <laughs> yeah, like why pay for knowledge when you can share it? I guess that's kind of, that's why I also teach free improv classes. But you know, if I was more financially strapped, if I, could, if I didn't have a lift, I might, yeah, I might charge for classes because I, I need to eat. I think at this point, I think it's nice that Lyft can provide that for me for supplemental income you know be a taxi for a while yeah the freedom you need to do these other little ventures of yours totally so yeah so i volunteer that's kind of my life philosophy like service i'm very service oriented which has to do with my faith definitely and also just has to do with uh where i went to college like they were very um emphasized like serving and giving back to the community so i think that was distilled in me even before that my parents you know volunteer for a lot of things and you know my dad coached my little league team one year and my mom was always super involved in school stuff. So like that was already instilled in me. But every step along the way, there's also opportunities to continue to volunteer. And so if you aren't volunteering right now, do it. Do it. I, I guarantee you it's not just for them. It's for you. It's it's fun to be able to teach something like improv, something you're passionate about. Because if you don't have passion for it, you probably shouldn't be teaching it. Monkey Butler, when I started teaching classes there, I got so jazzed about it. I was teaching on Monday night, I remember. And I was like, hey guys, do you want to improvise another night of the week come to my place on wednesdays and so they're like okay i mean people in la are like free i'm there free of course so i was offering a free thing and people came and um i met a lot of people through that as well and they would tell their friends and and so yeah i would get like anywhere from between 
I mean, even as low as like four people to like 24 people in my apartment. I would be teaching improv classes. So when Monkey Butler, the free improv workshop folded, I was like, great, I'll just take this improv workshop that I'm doing at my apartment, find another location where we can invite more people. And so that's what happened. It was called Rogue Improv because um, we were going rogue from Monkey Butler. <laughs> There's also a Rogue Improv in Houston, Texas, um, no affiliation. I was in communication with a pastor at Oneata Congregational Church who used to host Monkey Butler classes. And so I asked if we could bring Rogue Improv to Oneata. And he was like, yeah, of course, come on out. We'd love it. And, you know, and they give us, I mean, Oneata has been so supportive. They're like, yeah, have our space. No strings attached, no money needed. And in fact, they even gave us a small budget to pay our teachers, which is awesome. They didn't have to do any of that. And they did because I think they kind of, we have a similar mindset of this is serving the community. This is giving back. It's at a church, but there's no like pressure to like, there's no, we're not passing out pamphlets or anything. <laughs> we offer prayer at the end for those interested. And every week there's a different teacher. Every month there's a different topic that's taught. Also, there's other classes that are also available called cycle classes. Four weeks, five weeks, six weeks with the same teacher, same students. Because otherwise it's just show up. Yeah. So it's uh, getting that uh, feel for each other, right? So that your improv gets a little bit more yeah. personal, more attachment and all that. Yeah. Like I always recommend, I'm like, if you can go to a class consistently with the same teacher and students, like that's what you got to do. Um, but we realize everyone's got a different schedule. Everyone has different priorities too. Some people are like, yeah, I'll just dabble in improv. Okay. Uh, come on out. There's always a space for you. So we have a drop in for anyone to show up at any time. Or the cycle class is just like more of a commitment like a regular class would be. But yeah, and those classes are $5 per class. So they're super cheap, but we want to provide some money for the teacher. <laughs> um, At these shows, do you ever have like an open mic people in the audience come out? Um, in the improv world, that's more like a jam, like an improv jam. Oftentimes jams will be like, hey, if you want to get up on stage and perform, come up on stage. At the lot of shows that I do... It's a pretty mixed bag. Like at Rogue, we have a monthly show, the first Monday of every month, and we always have a jam. But yeah, so people can give it a shot that I never have. But usually the people that come out to improv shows or Rogue, they've all done improv. It's usually never anyone that's just completely cold. But it happens and I've seen it. I wouldn't expect it, but oftentimes they're very good. They're good because they don't have these hangups that improvisers have. So they just react, which is really what you got to do. You got to react. Maybe the quote unquote acting chops aren't there for these people trying it for the first time, but... Just the, the listening is there, the, the reaction's there. Um, they realize they're on stage, which probably they never are on stage. So they want to do well. But yeah, it's fun. It's fun. And it's fun to get people of all different experience levels performing together. Because maybe someone who doesn't have as much experience is going to not offer as much in a scene, potentially. And then the person with more experience has to justify it and make sense of it, which is a little more heavy lifting. But it's a good it's good to work, exercise that muscle, you know, no matter what experience level you are. Like, I'm a big guy that I don't like levels. I think levels create status. I think that's counterproductive to what improv's all about, creating status. Uh, there's a big thing called improv ego that I think is pretty common in, uh, I assume, New York and Chicago as well. But people have this mentality like, oh yeah, I've done improv for five years. Like I know what I'm doing. I don't want to perform with this person or they've got this ego of how good they are. When if you really break it down, you're like, you've got an ego about something where you're making up stuff. <laughs> you've got an ego about something, well, you'll never professionally get paid for it. I mean, there's a few opportunities to make money with improv, but the stages that we perform at, there's none. I don't understand exactly where the ego comes from, but I think it's because people want to feel valued. They want to progress. They want to get better. And unfortunately, some people were like, well, the only way to get better is to also make a draw a line in the sand of like what's good and what's bad. 
I actually got a hold of you through one of my friends, Tracy. Mm. And so I don't even shout out to Tracy. <laughs> and I, I didn't even tell you what the name of the podcast was or anything. So you're new to this, but it's so funny that in just about every episode, the ego comes up and how you have to check it at the door. Yep. Unbelievable. It's true. It's true. And it's weird because I've had ego too. So like, again, self-awareness, self-reflection, where my ego has come from is like this idea of it's complete insecurity. It's like, I need to pump myself up because no one else is. Question then for me is like, why do I need to pump myself up? Why do I have to make myself important? Don't you just know you are important? Just Is that enough? And it's like, no, it's not enough. I need someone to tell me. And that's why you got to get good friends. Because your friends will tell you how cool you are and how good you are. Ego, it's the death of a career in acting. I think it's a death of your soul. <laughs> not to make it sound too dramatic, but I do love emo music. So maybe that's why. Motion City Soundtrack, Dashboard Confessional, my bands. Man, ego. That's so funny. It's come up. What other uh, situations have it, has it come up? When we talk about going to the gym, up and coming DJs, it's like you want to be the hot, fresh act out there. It's like you got to pay your dues and you got to slowly yeah. move up. And and I don't know if this is the case, but like do your thing. Just do your th- like an improv. Perform not for the audience. Perform for each other. And if you just enjoy someone's presence, you're not going to have this ego of like I've got to impress or I've got to show that I'm better than because you're just like I'm doing my thing. I'm going to get jobs in acting or being a DJ, which I know everything about. Obviously, you can tell just by looking at me. He, I'm a Michael J. Seeloff is a DJ <laughs> in the making. Just do it. Just do it and like be a nice person. Be a genuine person. Don't be a fake person who's passing out their business cards because you want to get ahead. Like, make a real connection with someone. That's how you get ahead. It's amazing. People like lose sight of that because they get like, uh, you know, they get impatient. They get impatient. They just, it needs to happen now. Or, uh, or I, I didn't move out to LA just to sit around. Like, well, yeah, you did a little bit. Like, patience. <laughs> It'll happen. Put out good stuff. Like, I got a buddy, um, I got a buddy, uh, Seth Word. He puts out material all the time. All the time. And if you meet him, nicest guy in the world. He doesn't have this ego of like, I'm putting stuff out all the time. Look at my stuff. It's really good, isn't it? And like, I've asked him and uh, I'm on an improv team with him. And I'm like, hey, man, you want to collaborate like one-on-one? He's like, yeah, totally. Let's do this. Like, there's none of like, "Mm, Michael, we already performed together on a team. Like, Like, there's no pompousness to it, which is funny even on another level because improvisers oftentimes are like the nerds in high school. And like, they're almost... They're copying behavior that they hated in high school. <laughs> you're like, no, don't be like the stereotypical jocks. You're going backwards. You're here. going backwards. It's not your time for the ego. <laughs> like the whole problem in the first place was the ego. Anyway, ugh, I'll get off my soapbox. But you hear me. You hear me, podcast land. You hear me. So have you ever had any heartbreaks in acting? Heartbreaks. Uh, yeah, I think kind of like I think acting a lot of times is an extension of your personal life too. So I, I, I can't think of a specific story of where like it was really heartbreaking because there's, con- there's kind of a constant heartbreak of like I auditioned for something and I felt good and people were laughing and enjoying my presence in the room. Then you never hear back. And you're like, what? Are you kidding me? Like, are they like that with everyone? You know, and uh, it reminds, it's it's almost like if you're dating someone and you're like, oh, I feel so great. Or not even dating someone, just someone you're interested in. You're like, oh, they're so great. And they're they're laughing at my jokes and they're enjoying me. What? But they're like that with everyone? Are you kidding me? So I kind of feel like, oh, I feel like I'm, you know, I got, I got bamboozled. <laughs> but I, I think like there's a couple situations where you're like, yes, I don't get... 
an opportunity to audition for guest stars on TV shows or other larger roles very often, partly because I'm a character actor, but partly because there's people with many more credits than I do. I mean, there's a pecking order. There's opportunities that I've had. Uh, recently, I auditioned for Better Call Saul. It's one of my favorite shows. I love this show. And I got to audition with my improv partner. The audition went great. Didn't hear back. But you got to realize you're not auditioning for the part as much as you're auditioning for your career. And so once you kind of really embrace that mentality, it changes things a little bit. And you kind of go into auditions a little bit more like, I don't care if I get this, whatever. I'm going to do this and I'm going to go on with my life. You kind of have to have that attitude of like, that kind of flippant attitude of like, whatever, I don't care. Because for some weird reason, it actually changes how you are in the room. You kind of go into the room and you're so confident. And uh, that's the difference. Confidence rather than being cocky. You know, people yeah. can tell the difference. But if you go in confident, be like, yeah, I'm going to do this best I can. If I don't do it the way they want me to, do, all right, whatever. Like moving on, next audition. You know, I think the biggest thing that's happened to me that's heartbreaking and acting has been like, I was in a relationship for a couple of years. Yeah, I had never been in a relationship before. Like I was... I think I, when we started a relationship, I was 29, like late bloomer, never been in a relationship before. And so I got so excited that there's this idea of I put all my effort and all my energy into that relationship. And I didn't neglect my career because we're both actors. So we kind of both helped each other without, out with that. But there was still an aspect of where I was putting my energy and where um, I was spending all my time with this individual. And, and it was very stressful. There's a lot of arguing that went on. I wanted to make it work, and she wanted to make it work. But you could kind of tell that as we progressed, we didn't get any better. That really affected acting, too. Because you go into a room, and you're angry. Or I go to teach a class, and I, I'm still maybe sad or depressed about something. And so having a healthy life is so important to having a healthy acting career or a healthy just career in general. So um, there's a balance. I don't regret that relationship. I think it was a great learning experience, and I appreciated my time with that person. It's heartbreaking because you're like, ah, my priority in those two years was to progress that relationship for another life goal of marriage, of family. And when that doesn't work out, there's a recovery process where you're just like, man, that sucks. When you're not with someone anymore, you feel rejected like you do in acting as well. <laughs> like if you don't get a role, you feel rejected. When a relationship is no longer both parties, no matter um, who ends it or whatever, there's, there's a rejection you feel. That's when you like lean on those friends, that community that hopefully you built up over the years. But yeah, it really affects your work. And the more, the more you can reflect on that and think, okay, I learned this lesson and this was good and I appreciate this person's presence because they taught me this, then that really kind of helps you get over that, get over that hump. Um, it never leaves you though. I mean, what I learned in that relationship, the good and the bad, that's going to inform my improv scenes. That's going to inform my acting. That's going to inform my next relationship. So yeah, there's a constant understanding and learning about yourself. You hope on some level that, you know, it's not, it's not wasted. It's not wasted time. I didn't waste two years. Um, I just spent it in a different direction. Man, I, I learned some stuff about myself. Like, I have a short fuse. Why do I have a short fuse? Because I let things build up. I don't speak the truth earlier. So I find out, oh, that's a problem. I mean, I was in an audition room once, and I was so frustrated that short fuse came out, which I didn't realize until a couple years later when I was in a relationship, specifically what it was. I just was like, the casting director gave me an adjustment, and I couldn't nail it. I couldn't do it. On the way out of the room, I go, I hate auditioning. I'm like, why would I tell a casting director I hate auditioning? That's the stupidest thing I could do. Like that casting director will never bring me in again. And she did. <laughs> so like it was a fear that wasn't justified. But, you know, I didn't find that out until I was in a relationship. 
of like, why, why do I get so frustrated? And, you know, eventually I learned to laugh at myself and I put up a couple of YouTube videos called Audition Fails. I've got two of them out, not just one. I've got two compilations. Have you ever seen like news fails? Yeah. So it's similar where it's just me failing at auditions and getting really mad and frustrated <laughs> and that, that short fuse. So that was very therapeutic because I got to like take that and say, okay, this is me when I was really frustrated, but now let me put a compilation of a bunch of them and send it out to the world and have everyone else laugh at me. Like it, It's so great how you're able to spin all of this. You find the connections and things and you find the silver lining. Most of us yeah. just want to quit and be angry. It's and true. You're, you're able to apply your experiences to your work to better yourself, to just make your life better. Most of us just want to quit. And you, I love how you find it hmm. and work it in your benefit. Thank you. Yeah. And and it's a process though. And there's still things right now, even from that relationship, I'm still angry about. And there's still things that I'm like, or even auditions maybe years ago that I'm angry about, or not even that I'm angry, that I'm like, I can't make sense of it. So it's still a process. There's still other moments of like, with good time, with, you know, if I have some time, which man, time, I wouldn't say time heals, but time creates a distance where you're like, you have more perspective. And so hopefully that with that perspective, it can be used to heal. Not all the time though. Um, I think that's part of that process, figuring that out. But so there's still probably hangups that I have that are probably blocks that I'll figure out maybe six months from now. None of us are perfect, but at least we work on it, right? No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. And you got it. You got to take a look in the mirror. You got to take a look in the mirror and you got to say, okay, because uh, I could easily just be like, oh, that relationship is her fault. It didn't work out. And um, that audition, it was the casting director who didn't like me. Or um, it was like, oh, I did everything fine. And you're like, no, Michael, you didn't. You didn't do everything fine. But it's not a blame. It's not a shaming. It's not like shame on you for not making that relationship work. It's more like, hmm, that probably wasn't your person. That role, that probably wasn't your role. You know, time to move on. Time to move on. It takes it takes some encouragement. It takes some perspective. It takes it takes some time, I guess, to really like understand that. I think that's why they say ten years in acting. Give it ten years, because you have a time. You have a ten years to grow as a human being. <laughs> Doesn't matter when you start acting. You start figuring out stuff about yourself. I think it's not just acting. It. I think the general rule is ten years in anything. Okay. Yeah. You, you just got to put in the work. People vibe it. They feel it. It'll come back to you. And then everything just starts blooming. And it takes everything. A seed doesn't turn into a tree in a day. Right. You got to let it sprout, right? 10 years. But I, I only got 85 years on this planet. It needs to happen now. Now, 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 now. And I think that's the problem. I mean, in that relationship, we forced it. We forced it because we wanted it to happen. We wanted it. We, I mean, we loved each other, you know, and that's the tough part of like, hey, you know what? You need to have that patience. You need to let things grow or you need to kill it. Yeah. You kill it. Like, I think whether it's acting or whether you're, you know, a custodian, teacher, um, a firefighter, if you don't have passion and if you keep fighting yourself, then you got to drop that somehow. You got to figure out maybe, maybe being a firefighter is not for me then, you know, and you got to like, kind of have that perspective. You can't force, it's like forcing a, you know, a square peg in a round hole or whatever the metaphor is. <laughs> no, yeah. What advice would you give somebody who hmm. has a dream about going into acting or further bettering their improv or just getting active? Yeah, that's great. Uh, that's a great question. I would say a couple things pop into my head. One, 
has to do with more like acting specifically. Definitely take a class, take classes, be active, like act every day, do a YouTube video, do something where you're acting. I think a lot of people forget <laughs> to act because I think they get caught up in the business side of things or the organizational side of things, which they're important, don't get me wrong, but act, do it actually, because then you actually find out if you are passionate and enjoy acting. Because the old adage is like, that you hear from actors is if you can imagine doing anything else besides acting, do it. And what they mean by that is acting is going to frustrate you all the time and you're going to get discouraged and you're like, it's going to be an emotional roller coaster because you're not going to get work all the time or auditions and you're going to wonder, is there something wrong with me? The answer is no, there's nothing wrong with you. It's just the industry that's quite frankly, oversaturated with actors, but they're not oversaturated with you. You're the only person that can play you. So play yourself. Work on playing yourself. It sounds kind of ludicrous, but really work on playing yourself. Be comfortable with playing yourself. If you get an audition for a cowboy, don't go into you know the character store and find a cowboy in the store and you know play the stereotypical cowboy. Play you as a cowboy. What helps with that is becoming self-aware. Like don't be afraid to go get therapy. Understand what bothers you and what has, you know, hangups you've had in your life, like big advocacy of therapy to help understand yourself, the big advocacy of uh, group therapy. If you don't want individual therapy, I also am a big advocate of experiences. Like go out and just be like, I'm going on a road trip for a week or a day. doesn't matter. Experience life. Like study abroad was huge for my acting because I have an awareness of not only myself, but also of a different culture. I don't know everything about India, but I know four months worth, you know, of India and being immersed in that culture. So read and find out about cultures and experience things. Make a YouTube channel. You don't even have to put it live or you don't even have to put it up in the sense of like, uh, I'm doing a video a week. You know, it can all be unlisted on YouTube. It can just, just do it for yourself. Don't do it for likes. Don't do it for, you know, don't do it for thumbs. That's what people are doing <laughs> it for. Just for you click on the thumb, like who cares? The most important part is that you're enjoying it. And then once you get to that point of like, I'm producing stuff, I'm enjoying it, great. Now let's get into the business side. So, I mean, if you're young and you're still in college, like take a business class because there's a huge aspect to acting that has to do with business. I had to learn it all on the fly. And I wish I would have had a head start, honestly, about the business side of things. So two, ask questions to your friends and stuff and get to know them. You become this well-rounded individual that, first of all, everyone likes and everyone wants to be around because that's what they want on a set. They want someone they want to be around on set. Um, there's very few actors that are assholes, you know, that are out there. A lot of them are comedians because they're like, ah, that brand of humor. We want that brand of humor. But we got to put up with their attitude too. So don't be one of those attitude guys though. I mean, there's a reason why a lot of improvisers, people that come from improv like Amy Poehler and Steve Carell and Stephen Colbert, like they're nice, genuine people. And they started out in improv. There's a reason for it. There's a reason for it. You have to collaborate. You have to do things together in improv. So, so that's, that's my advice. There's, there's a lot of it in there, I think. But, but yeah, I would also encourage you to find out other things you like too, though. Because if you always are focused on one thing, then you're going to drive yourself crazy. That's why I'm glad I love teaching. I'm glad I love volunteering or like I'm passionate about homelessness um, and advocacy for it. So find things you're passionate about besides acting. Because that doesn't make you a well-rounded person um, if you're just singularly focused on one thing. That is some of the best advice I've ever heard. 
I can relate so much of what you said to like my personal aspect of what I do right now with this whole podcast. So mm. I hope everybody listens to that. I think you should even go back, guys, and listen to that again because there's so much there and it's really good. Yeah. And uh, apply it. All right. I think that's all we got, guys. Great material, Michael. Thank you so much. But uh, if people want to get a hold of you, let's uh, drop those Instagrams, Facebooks, and all that good stuff. Yeah, definitely. Um, please, I mean, reach out to me on Facebook even. Uh, Michael J. Seeloff. Also on Twitter, Michael J. Seeloff. Instagram, Michael J. Seeloff. And also uh, check out, I've got some side projects uh, on uh, on Instagram. Check out Laughtivism LA. I, um, you know, I do a lot of socially conscious comedy stuff. And also go on Laughtivism LA for the Facebook group. Um, join the conversation there. And also Wasp Comedy. It's on Facebook, Twitter. And so, yeah, but just uh, just connect. would love to be part of your community. All right, guys. Well, so you can find us on Instagram and Facebook on the Talk Shop podcast. And I'll go ahead and drop pictures of Mike or his Instagram pages and all that stuff. So you guys can find it there as well. Uh, however, you're listening to the podcast, whether it's iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and CastBox. Uh, go ahead and follow and subscribe there, too, so that you guys get updates when we drop new material. And I think that wraps it up for us today. Adrian, thank you so much. Thank you, Michael. Appreciate being on your your cast. (laughs) My cast.